0: Let me take this opportunity to welcome back the regular listeners, and if this is your first time listening to the show, I hope you enjoy this episode and decide to subscribe to the show. Today's guest, I've got Nick Littlehales, so welcome to the
1: show, Nick. It's my pleasure. My pleasure, James.
0: So, can you give a brief introduction of who you are and what you do?
1: Um, my name's Nick Littlehales. I started off uh, being uh, Somebody who loves sport, like a lot of teenagers do when we are at school. um, Aspired to be all sorts of things and didn't quite make it, which a lot of teenagers do. And um, I fell into family life and ended up working for a company called Slumberland Beds in the furniture industry, in the sleep product industry. Quite a well-known brand. And uh, very quickly, I made my way to the sales and marketing director of that company when I was 32. Um, Co-founded the UK Sleep Council and was chairman of that for a while and probably been around the world and watched everybody sleeping and listening to people talking about sleep. And and As we were just chatting about uh, before we started the interview, I was somewhat frustrated by the fact that everybody takes sleep for granted. quite obviously such an important part of the everyday human process, but um, pretty much most people get up and get on with their day and, and at a point when there's only a few hours left before they've got to do it again, they'll force themselves or try to sleep. So it's not really an important performance criteria and a little bit disillusioned, you know, midlife crisis or whatever it might be, sat in my office in Oldham in Manchester um, I thought maybe that maybe the world of sport was doing something that I wasn't aware of that I might be able to use or contribute to my company or my experience and my thoughts. So I, I back in the late nineties, James, you didn't um, you didn't text Alex Ferguson, the manager of Manchester United. You didn't email Alex Ferguson. You, you actually did one of those things called write a letter, and um, so. It, at that particular time, sports science, as you will know from your background, uh, there was no sports science wandering around. How do you analyze human performance data? Not around. Um, there was so little, really, when you look at where we are today, um, to look at other areas of human performance. Um, I think the same would be saying about things like parasport, para uh, very much, and, and female sports. Was so much in their infancy in those times that um, Alex Ferguson was intrigued by the contact. I got involved with the lead physiotherapist at the time, a guy called Dave Fever, and he was just interested, like you know, a lot of people in sport, some of them just get a bit interested about something that might be new or different just to explore it. Um, so I got invited along, and downloading all my experience into Dave Fever and the club, um, we were able to work with a, a couple of players uh, about postural care through sleep, i.e., you know what you're sleeping on the mattress—is it—is it helping to rehabilitate or Um And we were made to—you know—I just got asked, "Could I do a few things in that area?" Which I did. It made some some positive changes that led to. Could I start talking to the players at the club? This was the Manchester United treble-winning team, the class of 92. Whether you like Manchester United or not, I'm an Aston Villa fan, so it wasn't really floating my boat. But, um, you know, the David Beckham, the Giggs, the Butts, the Ryan Giggs, uh, sorry, and the Neville brothers, they were all there, and they were very responsive to whatever Alex would want to do. So I was able to put the first napping room into... Carrington, their training ground, when they decided to make a change to double up in pre season training. So, at that first part of the season, they would do a training session in the morning and in the afternoon, Um, and they'd not done that before. So, what did the players do in between those times? You know, hang around on the sofas, uh, playing games, playing pool, whatever. um, Well, we actually set up a room, put some you know, relaxing type products into the room and we encouraged the players to actually go to sleep in between training. Now, I have to say, even while I'm saying it to you now, James, that was a bit weird because, you know, back then, trying to get young superstar footballers for Manchester United to to actually go to sleep in between training, um, it sort of almost seems... Like, it didn't happen, it was a dream. It was, like, crazy. But, um, you know, along the route from there on, um, obviously, (coughs) Manchester United's brand, the players involved were also with England, the England squad. So in 1998, the World Cup in France with the England squad, I got involved with with helping the team out there, which was simply just supplying products because the hotel just had poor betting options and some of the players of Manchester United were highlighting this because of the work they've done with me you know what players are like don't you athletes and so you know you get the call and it happened to be uh, Gary Lewin was the lead physiotherapist for the England squad and still was up until recently he was also had a part time job with Arsenal Football Club as their lead physiotherapist and um, he became intrigued so he was actually physiotherapists in the first instance mm-hmm. who were intrigued by the whole area of recovery. And he got me involved with Arsenal Football Club. Uh, Arsene Wenger was one of those you know, unusual new breed of managers um, who was very open-minded to these types of things. and So I was able to do my first ever first-team football workshop with Arsenal Football Club. And that really was the point in time when, principally, the press, uh, the paparazzi in those days, um, simply found out that there was somebody going in and coaching footballers. Uh, those pampered millionaire footballers, and he's probably reading them bedtime stories and tucking them in. And I don't know. but they, So they labelled this person as a sleep coach. Coach as in sports and sleep as in the subject. And that's where the title came from. Um, It's a long time ago now, some 17 years. But along that route, I've done further work with the England squads in Euro 2004. I've been to all sorts of different clubs at different levels. I now work in sport such as British Cycling, the Sky Pro Team, Olympics, World Championships, bobsleigh, um, archery, rowing, BMX. Whatever sport it is, and we're now across the globe in many respects, um, working with the NBA and the NFL and the NHL, ice hockey. So it's all about the individual. Their their occupation happens to be sport. Uh, They have families. They have injuries. They get colds. They get viruses. They get all sorts of stuff. They get asked to go here, there, and everywhere, just like we all do. So principally, the subject is sleep, but it's more to do with mental and physical activity and how you approach mental and physical recovery rather than this subject sleep, which everybody has always taken for granted. So it's just what I'm trying to do all the time is just redefine it for human beings living in today's world, which is a completely different one to when I was knocking around as a director of a company in the late 90s. Unbelievable. Yeah. I sometimes wonder how on earth I ever did my job. I used to get excited, James, when my personal assistant would send me a fax to the hotel I was in <laughs> on the other side of the world. You know? It's like, oh, look at this. You know, so, so I think it's just, I think there's been certain shifts uh, in the way we live our lives and it's happened relatively quickly. Uh, from moving from a certain point when everything was okay, we had nine to five jobs, were Monday to Friday, we had a couple of days off, there was no 24-hour sports news or news, all this sort of stuff, no technology, you know. so we had lots of opportunities to recover, but we weren't actually doing it on purpose or for a reason, it's just there was nothing else to do, sort of thing, so all that's happening right now, and, pretty much the role I do. Yes, it's a sleep coach, but it's got much more to do with the mental and physical approach to every day, the psychological approach to every day, the ability to have a flexible routine that enables you to to do your work, to do your sport, traveling, families, um, just being available to play or to, to, to to perform uh, is massive, and you know when it takes four years out of you. Which you know perfectly well mm-hmm. when you sit there, and Tokyo is 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 in the far distance, but it's not every day. Tokyo is right in your own head, right in your own mind. Everything you eat, everything you drink, what you do, and, and ultimately to be able to peak. At a particular time on a particular day that's four years away, that takes a mindset that not many people certainly I would struggle with it, but not many people can achieve. So, it, you know, in, 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 in British cycling, the marg- aggregation of marginal gains, how do you wash your hands, co- teaching people how to do everything uh, in every single way, just to add all those things up. So, you know, we can get that person to that particular moment and give them the best chance they possibly can. So, a bit of a long answer to your question, but I think when people go, you know, Nick might be a sports sleep coach, I think they'd be quite intrigued to find out that the subject of sleep is just an outcome of everything we do from the point of wake. So, A lot of people worry about sleep at the wrong times. They don't really know anything about it. They pick things up in their heads like, I should sleep eight hours a day. And how many teams do I go into and just ask this question, how many hours do you try and sleep? And they say eight hours. But you don't really, why eight hours? Why eight hours? How, How many times have you ever slept all the way through for a solid block of eight hours, 365 days of the year, The answer would be nah, it doesn't work like that. So, you know, hopefully, um, you know, we're making a difference. And uh, kind of, I think the goal of us as human beings would be to try and find a way where we can certainly mentally recover and physically recover, but do it faster, quicker and not waste some 8, nine, ten hours a day doing it without any control. So I'm just trying to make it relevant from that point of view.
0: So Nick, why has the myth come about about
1: having these 8 hours a night? Well, you know, I've written a book recently and the publishers came up with the word myth. Um, I don't know whether that's the right way to describe it but it it probably is a myth because we will read and I I've, I've read it ever since I got into the into the sleep industry that from a clinical and research side a human being requires around 30 to 33% of every 24-hour period to be in a recovery state called sleep so that's a third of your life we've re- we've read that everywhere it's a third of your life it's important um, so that equates to a healthy adult requires around eight hours in a sleep state. So we've all read that. We didn't. Uh, it wasn't discussed at school, though, was it? I don't. I don't remember having any, any, any lesson, whether it was biology or anything at all. There was no lesson whatsoever where the teacher referred to sleep, or eight hours, or not eating too late, or. Nothing. Circadian rhythms, chronotypes, nothing. Not even owls and larks, which is the sleep characteristic. So, principally, we've read it in the papers, seen it somewhere. Mum and dad have said, you need eight hours, don't know why. And yet, how many occupations and how how many human beings across our planet have to spend most of their time, six months a year, in darkness. Some human beings have to spend most of their lives in temperatures way beyond other countries' experience, into the 30s, the 40 degrees Celsius. We have people who can live in the frozen Antarctic, in ice houses, you know, and they only eat certain types of foods. They don't have a -a five-a-day balanced diet. So there's so many things mm-hmm. when you look at the human being on the planet where there's so many variables. And you know in sport, you know how do you, how do you become a single-handed round-the-world sailor and out there at sea for three months on your own in a stripped-out boat and only being able to sleep if certain factors are in place? I mean there's one going on right now. Isn't so, and when you look back in history, which you, should, you should have at least half an hour at school at some point on. When you look back at history, the human being has always, always slept in shorter periods, more often during the day. It's called a polyphasic approach. The only time we ever switched to sleeping in one block, i.e. eight hours a night, one block, was when we invented the electric light bulb. We invented the electric light bulb which meant that we could keep blue light, daylight in our system for longer, because we could extend it into the evening, we could bring it into our lives, whereas before, basically, we started to shut down as the sun disappeared over the horizon. And we changed it when we invented that. And up until that point, we would always sleep for maybe 20, 30 minutes, midday between one and three, 20 or 30 minutes between 5 and 7 every day. This is part of this natural sun-up and sun-down process and us as human beings. We would sleep for a few hours at night, wake up, do some stuff, go back and sleep for a few hours. The Victorians used to do that. So I think the reason why it's a bit of a myth is because this isn't actually natural to a human being. It was only created because we went and created artificial light. And... Then we created Daylight Saving Time, which happens every year when we turn the clocks back and forward, because that was created because of world wars, where countries actually decided to shift the clocks to create more space to make more bombs, more warheads, more this, more that, more that, and they switched, so a lot of countries followed the same rule. So every year we get into winter and we have to deal with this time shift of waking up in the dark and Coming home in the dark, um, and I suppose there's another one called technology, you know, that's come into our lives and it's changing everything that we do. And there's more to come, isn't there, James? There's gonna be we're gonna have things just coming in every minute of the day. And so, what it is is right, it's like a myth is that if I'm coaching Paralympic athletes, if I'm coaching uh, young teenagers trying to get into sports or into a career, pilots, doctors, surgeons, nurses, teachers, across the whole piece, is that none of them ever achieve and can achieve to be able to allocate a whole block of ten hours a day, one hour before, one hour after, eight hours in complete sleep, sleep all the way through. Nobody is achieving that in the slightest. They have to use different types of habits and techniques to cope with it. And that principally I think is just a complete lack of knowledge and nobody's teaching and nobody's communicating. So everybody spends most of their time worrying about I'm not going to be able to get my eight hours tonight when actually with one little paragraph and a conversation they suddenly realise that maybe shorting, sleeping in shorter periods more often in a different way, throughout a whole week rather than every day, is actually perfectly natural.
0: (laughs) So, so, Nick, from that basis, have the hotter countries got it right, say, say, like, the likes of, um, using Spain as an example, and obviously, using their siestas to have, but obviously, that's, that's heat dictating, obviously, them splitting up the day. But is that a good way about? Uh, good way of going about it from us in, the, obviously, the northern, northern Europe and probably the colder parts of the globe? Yeah. Well,
1: you know, there's, there's quite a lot of debate in Spain that they're going to try and remove the siesta from the system because, you know, between one and three, it takes a couple of hours out of the system so they're not engaged with the modern 24-7 world, so maybe they're losing out by the population shutting down um, and the shops shutting and everybody leaving work. And Very noticeable when I was working with Real Madrid um, a few years ago and the whole training centre, apart from me and the manager and a few players, they all go home and they all come back at three. I think um, in principle... What's the main thing about this period is that between, because we put a time on it, but it's a natural thing that happens, is that once we've been up and active for a period of time and we get to that midday point, as far as the circadian rhythms of the day are concerned, and we take on a main meal, a lunch, and hydrate, at that particular point, and like you mentioned, there's normally that, that peak in temperature. It could be the coldest period of the day or the hottest period of the day, depending on where you're sitting. But you have this peak. So it's absolutely natural. There is a clash of sleep urge and need around that point, around 1 and 3. In that little area there, there's this clash. So it's perfectly natural for you to just zone out, a little micro-sleep, chill out, you know, curl under, curl under the tree and just have a snooze, whatever it might be, it's perfectly natural. And it's part of this natural process. So I think everybody who says to me that they, they can't sort of, they can only sleep at night because there's no time during the day, I always remind them, you know, I was, you know, quite a long time ago, instead of using the word nap, you can use mindfulness You can use meditation and actually sat in a room with 300 other people being presented to by a mindfulness coach. We're all sat there. We center our feet. We concentrate on our breathing. The noises are all still there. And you can literally just zone out. And you're still awake in that sense. You're still conscious, but you can actually zone out. It's like falling asleep behind the wheel of a car. Why would we do that? That's madness. Because if you put yourself with constant visuals, a constant visual with a sound like white noise, whatever it is, if you put your mind in the right place, you can nap anywhere. Nap anywhere. So all it is is a 20 or 30-minute period at the right time in the day, in the 24 hours, can be classed as a seat break cycle, it can raise alertness and awareness up to 54%, that's why pilots do it on long haul, sat in their cockpit. Uh, they don't go off to a room and s- s- get into a sleep pod and listen to whales singing to each other and smelling of lavender, they can just do it anywhere. And when you take those things into account, whether it's in the workplace, in sports. Uh, you can use this recovery period, you know, right before an event, you know, you would know, you're running, you're there trying to get ready to prepare for an event, the adrenaline's going everywhere and everything else, but maybe it's a nice opportunity to just, just zone out for a few minutes and focus on what you're doing, and I see athletes doing that all the time, their ability to block out everything, you know, British cycling, Brad Wiggins of the team pursuit, there we are, sat in the chairs, inside the track, There's a race going on around them, the TV's everywhere, and they're all focused, taking themselves away. So if we start to look at it in a little bit of a different way, these things can really, really work. And uh, if I talk to you about a 590-minute cycle routine every day, which is 7.5 hours, I don't think of it as just at night. I think of it, I would like to get five sleep cycles in every day every 24 hours but maybe it's a combination of a you know one two three four five or one two three four cycles at night and the nocturnal bit mm-hmm. or it might be three there one midday because i've got a i've got a play at eight o'clock tonight and don't finish till three o'clock in the morning you know if it was a football match uh i might slot it in between five and seven because we're now in we're now coming into the summer And there's more daylight out there and I want to go and play and enjoy myself with all my friends in the evenings and ride my bike and socialize, don't you? So I don't want to be falling asleep at 9 o'clock, absolutely shattered, when the summer's here and it's still light till 10 o'clock. So what you do is within everyday life or sport, you look at the schedules, you look at what's being asked of you and you slot in um, sleep recovery moments, periods, to suit that schedule, to stop you getting into a habit of constantly walking around fatigued, so you might over-caffeinate, you might start to use sleeping tablets, Uh, there's other things that we can get our hands on that that creates a a false boost, and and we start to get into that habit, so it's like sleeping badly, not very well, waking up a lot, getting too hot, da-da-da-da-da, and then caffeine, sleeping tablets, other stimulants start to come into your life to get yourself through it. And um, and that, today, is where I have to say most of the time when I get asked to go into any organisation, it's because those well-being red flags are flying. Big time. <laughs> and Nick, you, you
0: say to try and incorporate that 30-minute, obviously, power nap into your day, isn't that quite difficult this day and age, obviously, with, like you say, that 24-hour clock with business running virtually non-stop all over? How how does the normal uh, Joe job blogs kind of incorporate that into their lives? Because obviously for a sports person,
1: the, the day is kind of structured a little bit differently. Yeah, it is. And it isn't. Because, you know... In every day, there is time in every day that is wasted. Um, It's not to say that you're not doing something positive, but we all know there are moments throughout our day where we're just doing things for a reason, but for no apparent reason. When we're having a conversation with somebody, and a bit like me talking to you now, James, um, could I have said everything I've just said to you in a more concise and quicker and more specific way or is this just a conversation where we're just having a chat and wasting some time, you know what I mean in every single way, meetings lunch times, breaks you know, if you've got a two litre bottle of water on your desk so that you can keep hydrating it wasn't that long ago when that water was in the canteen or in the fridge over there, and you had to get up from your desk and walk over there and take some water or make a cup of tea or make a cup of coffee. You wouldn't allow to be eating at your desk. Absolutely, corporate no-no. There's no turning up at quarter to nine in the morning and then getting your porridge out and your portable coffee at your desk. No, 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 no. You would have to... So all of the little factors where you look at it, there is plenty of time. Certainly, there was not a coffee shop every 300 yards in my world back in the late 90s. There wasn't. You'd have to walk a long way to find a coffee shop. You know? you'd, have to, you'd have to travel some distance to find a gym. You know? So we bring things into our world. We, we bring things in. We pack our days in. And we just lose sight of the fact there's certain things that actually are more important than other things uh, as human beings. Because James is just a title for your human body. Nick is just a title for mine. And when we sort of get that into our heads, then allocating 15, 20 minutes just to go to the toilet at work, sit in the cubicle, chuck a towel over your head, learn how to do a mindful te- mindfulness technique or something, listen to some sounds, whatever it is, take a bit of caffeine, if you like caffeine, if you don't like caffeine, use something else, but the pilots use it, bit of caffeine, kicks in 20 minutes later, put the alarm on for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, zone out, come out of it, and you know that whatever you're going to do after that 20 minutes is going to be sharper, quicker, more precise, good decisions, being more alert, so If you treat it um, just like when you feel really dehydrated and you take on fluid and it goes, oh, I feel so much better now, or you're very, very hungry and you think, take some food on, oh, I feel so much better now. If you think of it like that, as far as recovery is concerned, if you think I am now really dehydrated, so if I just take 20 minutes to rehydrate, I'm going to feel brilliant. If I keep doing this, I actually might die. You know, it might be quite fertile if I don't take fluids on. So it's, it's only your relationship with things is where you find the space. You always find the space, every single time. It's just clogged up with other stuff. And, and like you will know, well, hopefully you will know, because you've been such a successful athlete, is um, if you're going to train for an hour, if you take 15 minutes to ensure you're in the right place and then do 45 minutes, is the outcome of that hour more positive, more beneficial? Or is it smashing it for an hour going to make you better and quicker and faster? And I think we all know that that side of our life is as important as the physical side to get the best out of it and to be able to deliver. And that's what, you know, you said, power nap, snoozers are losers – um, napping is that old guy sat in front of the fire, smoking his pipe, reading a paper. Christmas after lunch, all that napping is such a—it's not. So I advise everybody is to don't tell anybody you're doing this. Why? 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 Why get the ridicule? Why? Why? Why would you want to get into? Let everybody get on with their lives. You just have a recovery program that suits you. And you know, when I'm off to the toilet, you don't give a damn. But I'm there raising my alertness, raising my awareness. In the afternoon, you just can't work out while I'm just a little bit quicker and got things done better than you did. You know, It's just, why did I get promoted and you didn't? Why am I able to go to the gym at certain times or do things at certain times when other people find it difficult? Have I got better mood and motivation to to, to pick up the fruit or the vegetables or grab something that's pre-made and it's easier to grab hold of. Um, am I doing things that I want to do rather than being dragged along by everybody else? You know, do I feel confident? Um, and all of those little things come out of that process. so you know it's a good question. I get asked it all the time. Um, but as soon as people start start accepting a different mindset to this particular period, 15, 20 minutes. You know, a lot of executives, you know, managers and all sorts of people who travel on trains and public transport on their way home and on their way to work. And certainly, you know, between five and seven is a popular time to be travelling from work to home or the gym or something. So they'll pass out on public transport without any knowledge, you know, just, oh, gone. With laptops, smart devices, personal belongings, people around. So, what happens is you go, "Well, why don't you do it there?" Oh yeah, I'm doing absolutely nothing. I'm on the tube, I'm on a train, I'm car sharing with somebody, so I'm sat in the back. It's a, it's between five and seven, yeah. So instead of being on your device, reading stuff, Kindle, that, emailing, whatever. Why don't you just bang fifteen? Do it, zone out, get it. Brilliant. There's a sleep cycle, and part of your day. So there's always a place you can find. Always a place you can find. It's just that mindset of if you snooze, you lose. Not in sport though, James. Not in when sport. you
0: put it when you put it that way. Obviously, well. Put it into that context of different areas like the train, the toilet, and things like that. Is that's an everyday occurrence? So why not, not make t- use of it? And the one you touched upon quite early on in the p- in this podcast is obviously you talked about the mattress. What what really what what really makes it a big difference having obviously or oh, a different way. What really makes a big difference having a good quality mattress? And not and and having a bad one
1: to sleep. Um, that one um, is easily answered by um, the floor. The floor in this office, I'm and where you sat right now. The floor is a surface we can actually sleep on, uh, because we do. As humans, we get asked to sleep anywhere. Anytime, any place, hotels, we go camping, in a tent, on the floor, a bit of foam, we do this, on the sofa, on the chair, even hanging off the side of a mountain in a sack because you're a professional mountaineer. So we can actually go into a sleep stage pretty much anywhere. The quality of recovery will be different to if you make certain adjustments. So if we make the floor a bit more comfortable, then maybe. We can adopt a certain sleeping position that the brain likes, and maybe that will encourage better sleep wake cycles and better sleep stages to be entered, and we'll get better recovery because it's not so aggressive like the floor. Now, you may well have experienced um, some of the work I did around 2012 with British Cycling and also the power cycling teams. Um, we created little sleep kits. And they would sleep on them at home and then they would be taken to London 2012 and we did exactly the same this year. Uh, Not this year now, but last year for Rio. And they were sleeping on little shallow pieces of foam, basically. Um, Special foam, but I don't mean that it's like specially created for Olympic cyclists, but it was a viscoelastic foam, 7.5 centimeters deep, that would be in a sleep kit on the floor in Rio like it was in London 2012 and they would be sleeping on that. Uh, there would be another layer on top of it, a little comfort layer on top of that, wrapped up in some linen with a some duvet and a pillow. Now, the question is, no mattress, no mattress that is a flat surface that's made of materials that don't move. They don't sense anything. They don't adjust. They don't do nothing. It's a flat surface like the floor. But it happens to have materials or springs in it that makes the floor more comfortable to lie on, like a little camping mat or a blow-up lilo. So what the biggest problem people have is suddenly they're not saving up and investing in their sleep and putting things in place that help them with their recovery. They're not doing that. So every now and again, when push comes to shove, you end up walking into the marketplace, either online or offline, to buy a new bed or a new mattress. And principally, it's sort of, it's one of those little moments, it's almost like a guilt trip that you've, you've never invested in your recovery before, your sleep. Um rented apartments, university dorms, you know made sofas and all the stuff this your, your sister's old bed or your brother's old bed passed down to you and your mom and dad gave you their bed when you moved into your first house it's all sort of like, wow, now I'm gonna buy one, and it's sort of like a big deal, so and boy, don't we in the industry know that we know you're coming, <laughs> come to me, come to me. And in you comes. oh, my God, I'm going to buy my first mattress. I want it to last forever. I want it to have as many things in it as possible. It's got, to, it's got to make me more beautiful. It's got to solve all my back problems. It's got to last forever. It's got to be the most comfortable thing possible. It's going to give me the perfect night's sleep. And all of these things are in your head. So you just think that by invest if your budget was 200 pounds you spend 400 pounds because that will make you sleep better. If your budget was a thousand pounds you spend two thousand pounds three thousand pounds four thousand pounds. You can walk into shops right now and see mattresses for 10 13 50 twenty thousand pounds. You can see mattresses for 99 pounds. £49, pounds, £100. Pounds. So the reality is, and what we all do, is it's simply about providing a surface that promotes you as an individual to sleep in the correct position for longer periods and while you move around to make subtle adjustments during the course of that period, you're always encouraged to go back to the fetal position on the opposite side to your dominant side which is the one the brain loves. And the more you're in that, the more your brain will take you into the better areas of sleep quality. And as long as you're sleeping on your front or your back or moving around all the time everywhere here, then you don't get it. So no mattress. All you have to ask yourself the question is just how many springs does your body profile require for you to sleep in what is deemed to be the correct sleep position. Is it a thousand sprints, two thousand sprints? And you will have met a lot of people in your world, James, and certainly I haven't. When I'm standing next to Richie Gray, that sort of rug, Scottish rugby player who's six foot ten, and makes me look like I'm like three foot tall, and I've to look, you know, when you're looking at it, a massive, massive physical frame. And then you're, you're standing next to Laura Kenny now, Laura Chott and, and she's tiny. She's tiny. So how on earth does that mattress quite clearly state for all of us in the world that it will do all of these things, doesn't matter who you are, lying on it? Now, that doesn't make sense. It never has made sense. So it's all about just getting a surface that will release that, whether it's made of springs or foam or this or that, it doesn't matter however you create that surface, all it's got to do is to promote that correct sleeping position and if it does that then it's all about, if I I end my day, not everybody likes alcohol, not everybody likes caffeine but some of us do, some of us don't, if I like to end my day by sitting with James and uh, enjoying maybe a Um, a glass of pinot or a glass of red wine or a cold beer because we've had a long day it's nice to relax and just chill out and that that is a sort of process that helps us do that just like meditation and anything else well if I have one cold beer or one glass of wine I know it's not going to affect the quality of my sleep later I know that if however We're having too much fun and we go for a second one or a third one or a fourth one. Now I know that later on my recovery is going to be affected. So I know this. So don't worry about it. It was your choice. It's going to get affected. Now no mattress is going to put that right. It will never do it. It's just a surface that's there. It's not going to deal So whatever you're doing throughout every day. The thing you're going to sleep on is not going to resolve them. All it's there to do is to not aggravate you as much as possible. And the floor is difficult to sleep on. A bit of foam when you go camping, you'll still get on with your day, you'll still have great fun with the family, you'll still do everything you want to do and enjoy camping and being outside and everything else. That's absolutely fine. So we're able to, to do all of the things and there's far too much emphasis uh, on spending a lot of money on specifications and materials and statements and marketing things, when the reality is, you know, me and you can fall asleep on your sofa in your house today, and we'll still go out and smash it tomorrow, won't we? I mean, how many times have you not slept? How many times? How many times do you actually leave your home and actually go? to a specific event it's normally you're walking out of a hotel room or or a facility you very rarely leave your own home and walk straight down the road and do the olympic final is it and then go home again so you have to have to be able as a human being to to whatever is available to you you've got to make that work and some things will work better than others and that whole myth that one day in your life at some point in your 20s or your 30s or even your 40s that you go out and spend a shed load of money on some mattress and some marketing statements that's going to change your life and boy, strangely enough, it doesn't do that. So, you know, for me, I'd much rather if we just make the floor a bit more comfortable for you, James, and it costs us you know, a couple of hundred quid because we're using this bit of foam. And we just make the floor a bit more comfortable. Um, then, if we keep changing that, you know, every two, three, four, five years, you know, um, then it keeps that surface fresh. It keep, it's not deteriorating. It keeps your mindset right. So, so maybe, maybe a hundred pounds, two hundred pounds, every three or four years, or two years, or whatever, is much better than chucking out a thousand pounds and keeping it for fifteen and not doing anything about it. You know, it's. Life's just not, life, particularly this recovery process, is not about, you know, when you buy you buy that mattress and you spend a load of money on it and then six months later you find out your partner's pregnant and you're going to have a family or you've got an injury or you've got something to deal with, haven't you? And you just go, I'm not going to do anything about that. The thing that you spend 10, eight, 10 hours on a day, you're not going to do anything with it. You're just going to leave it there. And now you're going to do this and do that. It doesn't make any sense at all. So, you know, that's why we're a bit more flexible. Get the routine right. Get the mindset right. Put sleep in a different place. Think about mental and physical recovery. And, this, and the environments and the products that we use to actually do this process with uh, is all about just making sure that they, they don't get in the way of how we prepare throughout the day we don't want them to get in the way. And we know that, you know, it, it only it only really makes sense when you put it in that context, when you're dealing, when you're working with people who are doing something what's classed as outside of the norm. And there are some extreme sports and sports people around who really go to the edge in the way that they want to do things. And when you look at everything they're doing, you just simply, you know, where's my 2,000 pound mattress that's at home and here I am, you know, on the other side of the world, about to perform in Tokyo and and that mattress I bought is back in the UK. It hasn't come with me. So, that could actually be perceived as a negative, isn't it? You know, in sport. if If you can't replicate all the things that are important to your performance wherever you are, then by introducing them only in certain places can actually be a negative. Because you, you don't have it anymore. Do I mean? So, another long answer to your question.
0: Well, I've never thought about it like that in terms of a mattress. Obviously, well, because most of the times athletes and, say, business people, for another example, spend majority of their time either in hotels or whatnot, and not one bed is going to be the same. So, if you no think of it... yeah So, if you think of it... From that aspect, yeah. you're always going to look at it a, a negative connotation. Some people have that ne- negative connotation of they don't get a good night's sleep in a hotel. But is yeah. that more of a mindset that it's not their bed? Then,
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, you know, there's there's lots of uh, bits of research and personal experience, just like you've just said. You know, there's a piece of research, absolute fact. I've just done a program, documentary with a company, an absolute fact that the first night you sleep somewhere different if you've got a consistent so most of the time you're sleeping at home but every now and again three or four times a month or more you leave the home and you go somewhere else to sleep uh, like a hotel is recovery can be reduced by up to 50% or more because it's a different environment the brain's not sure whether you're in a secure place it, there's no there's none of that familiarity with anything so the ability to feel secure, which is what sleep is about, going into a semi-paralyzed stage, your brain shutting you completely down to enable you to wander through these sleep stages. To be able to do that, if you're not, if you're not in the right place mind, mentally, physically, then recovery is extremely difficult, and I bet you've experienced it. You know, if you can't sleep before an event, can't sleep after an event, adrenaline, this, anxiety, am I going to perform at my best? Will I win? Will I get injured and never be able to do my sport again? You know, there's all of these factors that go on in in your head, don't they, in everyday life. So actually trying to sleep when those circumstances are in place is actually negative. Trying to force yourself to sleep prior to an event or, or something when everything is, you're much better off doing other positive mental and physical you can, things that are positive, not necessarily being completely active, but you're, you're in a, a sleep state, a pre-sleep state, um, but you're not trying to force yourself to sleep. And when you only talk to somebody, say, well, why are you taking sleeping tablets the night before an event to force yourself to sleep? If you weren't trying to sleep, you wouldn't have to take the tablet. That's true. You only take the tablet to force yourself to sleep. Yeah. Well, why don't you look at some positive footage of when you were at your best? Give you a re- Oh, look at me, absolutely smashing it. Why don't you do meditation, mindfulness? Why don't you just chill out? Why don't you do some drawing? Why don't you do some painting? Why don't you do some origami? Why don't you watch your favorite film? Why don't you listen to your favorite songs? Take the pressure off because I can guarantee there's a moment in your life when you've not slept at all or very little and you've got up the following day and nailed it, and nailed it. You know, So when you start to think of sleep is more about a recovery process, think of it more as 48 hours rather than 24, that during certain times in your week, your life, in your schedules, sometimes you haven't got any influence over these things as things change. You see, if you can look at it like that, maybe what I'm looking at is just how many cycles can I get in over the next 48 hours? One there, pop one in there, three here, one there, one there, one there, one there. And so all of those things start to come together. And when you start to look at it like that, then you really know that's as you start to work with elite athletes and they're wandering across towards you know, I've just been working with one authority right now because of the Commonwealth Games, the Gold Coast in Australia. Now, now that, that's not an easy trip to Europe, is it for most? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, that's like, wow. And that's in April 2018. So i you already thinking of all the little things. You can't get jet light right? So we know there's certain things that just have to come in and if you ignore them you will fail you will fail, absolute guarantee so where every time zone you shift from east to west going to Australia to the Gold Coast you need a day you need a day's recovery now some people won't feel as though they need that day because they don't get affected by it as much as others particularly just at that moment in time but some just absolutely shut down and so there are certain things with recovery that if you put if you put that person whether it's in a corporate environment or in your world an olympic athlete's environment and you put them inside a new environment that's not like a home if you raise the home environment too high and it's so out of sync with where you have to walk out of to do your performance like we sleep everywhere You get that sort of thing. Then this becomes even more unfamiliar because it's just nothing like you've got at home. So it makes it even worse. So you you sort of have to look at everything you're doing. What hotel are you going to choose to stay in? How much is it more familiar to what you enjoy at home? How much you can modify it slightly by taking your own teddy bear, taking your own comfort blanket, taking your own pillow, uh, taking some bin liners to black out those blinds, or been able to, whatever it might be, sometimes Hotel A is the one that you always use but Hotel B, just down the road, it might not be as opulent, it might not be 5 star or 4 star, it might be 2 star or 3 star, but from a point of, I know that before that meeting and before that event staying in a hotel is going to make it more difficult for me to recover properly so I'm going to choose Hotel B because Hotel B, I'm able to have more of an impact on it than Hotel A. So, there are little tiny things that everybody can start doing that will, in in a sort of almost subconscious way, by just exploring those things, you can actually improve the level of recovery of, by default, sustainable levels of recovery and, by default, performance. And... Uh, it's only been it's only been in recent years that um, the organisations and individual athletes are starting to sort of take this on board, do something about it, and feel the benefits of it. You know, it's not uh, to use a an old term. It's it's not not rocket science. It's just nobody's ever talked to you before about it, and uh, I think that's why it, it's sort of. There's a little chapter in the book about mat- in my book about mattresses and products, and uh, my industry doesn't like that chapter <laughs> for obvious reasons. But I tell you what, everybody who reads it, it's almost like it's not that I'm being clever or I'm experienced or I'm, you know, I'm I'm this professional coach in sport. They actually just turn around. I've always thought that, you know, Nick. Thank you very much. <laughs> and it 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 is that weird sort of sense that um, how many pillows get purchased every day pillows, 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 pillows anti-snoring, physio pillows neck care pillows, all sorts of pillows, pillows, pillows get bought every day and all they are is simply because you should have bought a size 9 pair of trainings, but you bought a size 10 and you didn't know that so you need inner salts to try and make them fit, and every now and again you just keep buying insoles to make these trainers fit, but actually they they never did fit. So everything about this, now you just trying to make it work. You're trying to make it work, but the reality is, you should have just known your flipping foot was nine, a size nine, and then you bought a size nine, not a ten. You know, it's kind of it's ridiculous like that. I mean, how many people um, will? It's orthopaedic, it's chiropractic, it's physio-endorsed, it feels really hard when I sit on it, it's going to last forever. Yeah? Are you buying a floor or are you buying something really comfortable? Mattresses, layers, fillings and layers to sleep on should be in a design focus like a pair of trainers. They're breathable, they're flexible, they use materials that... that deal with those complicated joints in our feet. They take all our standing weights with ease. We can go to the shops in them. We can go to the gym in them. We can wear them 24-7. We can't feel them on our feet. You don't say the same about Wellington boots or about work shoes, leather shoes, high heels. You don't say the same about those things. So, there's only one criteria for something to sleep on. They've got to feel Like a pair of trainers. They're going to look like a pair of trainers. They're going to feel like it. They're going to be soft and beautiful. And yeah, a pair of trainers will cost you 60, 70 quid. You spend a lot more if you want. Spend less if you want. Average pair of trainers, something like that, 60 quid. Well, if you wore those for eight hours a day, how long would they last? Full on eight hours a day. Full working day, how long would they last? How long would it be before they start to deteriorate? And the thing is, it's not about using materials that deteriorate so that you have to replace them more often because of that. Actually, the, the materials used are there to do the job of a trainer. That's what they're there to do. Leather doesn't do it. That's what you use for that particular product. One of the things that happens though is while you get all the benefits. Of the trainer when it's fresh and new, you do have to replace them from time to time, depending on your own personal requirements. You can wear them till they fall apart because you don't care, or if you're a little bit more concerned about your footwear and how you walk and your stride and what you do and at your gym and what the sport you're in, then maybe you'll change them a bit more often because you want them to be fresh and dynamic, not old and worn. So maybe. A little bit of a weird analogy there or a, trying to put the, that's the answer to your question all they want to do is be designed for you to put them on your feet to, to sleep with them for long periods of time and the floor doesn't do that it's hard and aggressive and a hard mattress and a firm mattress that's supposed to support your back out i think all your listeners have you ever come across james in your world uh, a physiotherapist, or a strength and condition coach, or a, or a, if you ever got near a sort of chiropractor or osteopath, and they and they turn around to you and say the best thing you should be doing is to sleep for eight to nine hours on something rock hard like the floor. No, they don't say that. They don't say that in the slightest. So why is it that that industry uses those those marketing tools? To, to trap you into buying something—it just—it just makes no sense, is it? I actually am quite passionate about this area, as you can possibly tell, mm. because it's um, most people get very surprised, and you could probably reaffirm it that you know all, all the certainly all the cycling and paracycling athletes that are out in Rio, and they're all there smashing records like anything, aren't they? Still doing it, still doing it, and um, and there they are. All sleeping on what? And most people might think, oh, all those Olympic athletes, they must be sleeping on these fantastic go faster stripe mattresses that have got all this stuff in it. No, they're all on bits of stuff, <laughs> this thick, in a bag. Do you know what I mean? That went on a ship. So it's kind of like, oh, God. Oh, God. So there you go.
0: So this notion that you need to change your mattress every eight years is a, is a bit
1: of a myth then, or is it kind of a marketing uh, tool then? I hope nobody from my industry is about to listen to this, James, because uh, I was actually one of the founding members of what is now known as the UK Sleep Council. There was a number of retailers and manufacturers. I was head of one of the leading brands, so I was involved by default, and um, we created the UK Sleep Council, And that was a way to try and pull together uh, investment from the industry to help communicate to everybody else about sleep and about replacement cycles. And one of the driving things about that particular point was the average replacement cycle of a mattress or a bed in the UK was plus 25 years. Right? Okay, average. So we're... One of our messages was, you know, sleep is important, fine. Um, we just wanted people to change their sleeping products more often. So we came up with the message of every 10 years. Think 10 years, right? If you've had it for 10 years, that's a long, long time. It's probably time to replace it. Now you've got certain retailers who've taken it on board themselves, and they talk about seven years and eight years. Um, and you sort of think, well, if I have got a particular lifestyle that means I do travel a bit, so I probably spend 50, 50% of my time in at home and 50% of my time traveling around. Um, I don't know how that would equate to your your world in your experience in sport but I bet there's quite a lot of times when you're away from your home, well, at home. Oh, I was, at, I was uh, at university as well. Uh, university <laughs> as well. So you kind of go, well, if I spend every night in that bed, every night, 365 days the year, if I wear my trainers every day for 365 days, are they going to wear out quicker mm-hmm. or not so quick? So... If I only put my trainers on once a month, I can probably get four years out of them, can't I? If I wear them every day, it's not going to be long before I need another pair. So the reality of this is, in my world, is every year you are going to go through a set of experiences. And some of them are planned, some of them are not. Some of them can have more of an impact on you than others. And during that period of time, as a human being, you are going to be affected by that. Uh, Some positive, some negative. And you don't know they're coming. Um, So, this particular area requires what are you doing, when are you doing it, and why. How you can try and recover as best you possibly can. uh, Minimize the effects of everything, and being able to adjust. And so, if it's simply the case that maybe, you know, in in your world, you got an injury. This happened to be a mid-term training program. And everybody listening to this can relate it back to their own lives because we all have the similar things going on. I'm just using it as an example because we're talking. So, you're en route to the World Championships or the Olympic Games to an event. This happens to be 2017 this is the final leg and something happens that you hadn't planned for so if you can go you know talk to Nick your sleep coach talk to your physio talk to your whatever it is and you go if I can just change that layer on the top surface of my sleep system this little expensive bit because it's made up of a few layers if I can take that one off and put this one on then while I'm recovering this will aid this particular set of circumstances. Right? Now, if you've bought a mattress this thick, it's going to last forever. Full of all sorts of stuff, you won't do anything. But actually, it's part of your recovery toolkit. So, I, look, when you're starting to, to look into all of these areas, you start to get an effect. To be honest, I think every year you should think about your recovery. And if that means going and buying another pillow to replace the one you've had before, to keep it fresh, to keep it lively, to keep it all that perspiration and lost skin scales into that product, it's become, it's now just get another pillow or get another layer for your mattress to make it even more comfortable, softer. Chuck that one away, put another one on top. Uh, maybe it's, you know, buy yourself another set of bedroom. You know, one of the funniest things? that I ever had to do was pluck up the courage to tell Sir Dave Brailsford and the guys at Team Sky and British Cycling one of the best marginal gains I think they should do is have fresh bed linen on their beds every night on a Grand Tour. Fresh bed linen every night, three weeks to the France. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because to be honest with you, when I fall, if I make the if I make the bed. And I put fresh linen on it. It feels cool. It feels crisp. I think, well, I want to get in that. And if I get in it, I'm going to have a nice sleep. So, sort of like, that's how it feels. Yeah. So, why do people just do it once a week, or every two weeks, or longer? I, I you know, I'm doing consultations all the time, and the little question there says, "Do you do it once a week, twice a week, every four weeks, or longer?" And the button "longer" gets pressed a lot. Wow. So, I, so it's like. All we did is we had six sets of linen for Bradley Wiggins, Chris Froome, Mark Camp. They had, so the guys in the Sky Team bus, there's washing machines in the side of the Sky Bus, and so they'd have three sets, one night, second night, third night, then they'd wash those three, and then they got another three. And believe me, we're talking about, so what I'm your question 7 years 8 years 10 years and nothing's going to make any sense you know if you if you've invested a lot of money in your bedroom and your sleeping products and you've spent thousands and thousands on the bed and you've done all sorts of things because that's where you are in this world then why on earth is somebody telling you to change all of that after such a relatively short period of time because they buy them like they would a sofa or a dining table you know, other parts of the furniture in their home is that they're really not thinking about changing that thing until either they don't like it, or they're moving house, or it breaks, or maybe fashion has changed, and you want to you want to move with the fashions of interior design, you know, whatever it might be. But these things last forever, so I think you know a lot of my clients. They get into that mindset, you know. When they get asked, "What do you want for Christmas?", they say, "Could I have another set of linen, please." Because the more sets of linen I've got means it takes away some of the barriers of being able to take it off and wash it and then dry it and then put it all back on. There, oh, I can't be bothered, you know. But if you've got if you've got a number of sets and it's not you're not buying the most expensive stuff, and it's part of your end of the day routine, I don't expect anybody to be changing their bed linen. Every night, right? That's not the point. But you certainly can say that if you you get fresh bed linen when you enter a hotel, you know you they do this. They might not change it fresh every day if you're there for a longer period of time, but it's all that sort of stuff. And and I would just always follow that as always. Little things that you can do. It might be it might be a new supplement that you can add into your diet that helps with recovery, mental, phys- physical recovery with potassium, melato- uh, bits of melatonin in there, bits of magnesium in there, things like tart cherries and banana tea uh, and various things like that. So it's not all to do with just you know mattresses and changing them every seven years. So every seven years if I go and change my mattress what, to another one exactly the same? Or a different one? No, just change it. will oh, change it to a better one or a worse one? Or a more expensive one or a cheaper one? No, just change it. No, just change it. Oh, see. Well, give me a reason. Is it because every seven years that the product has reduced its ability to help me sleep by up to 70%? So it needs to change because my... I can't sleep as well because of that or should I upgrade to something else or should I buy an electric one because we're not doing diesel and petrol anymore to save our planet is it because we've gone recycling and I need to be able to recycle my product when we didn't really do that not that long ago no 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 just change it and you go well if you've got no reason I ain't going to do it so it's just it's just bar it's farming, you know. If you buy a little piece of foam and you sleep on that, seven and a half centimeters, and you go to Olympic games, you go here, you go there, and go there, you do everything you want, and you're going to wear that one out. Then really, what it is is about your choice and mindset to this process. Every three years, I'm going to buy another seven and a half centimeter bit of foam because that's an important thing in my life. That's what I spend a lot of time with, and I want it. To not do anything other than promote, allow me to get the best possible recovery. So I'm going to have one of those every three years. You know, I'm going to have one of those every, every year, every 12 years, whatever. I, you know, it's up to you how you perceive it. There's a lot of people out there who want to keep it for, for thousands of years because you can do But uh, every 10 years, 15 years, one year, you just you just uh, do what you need to do, but spending a lot of money, you can spend you can spend whatever you want on your bed frame. Uh, make it yourself. Chuck a mattress on the floor. Buy a fancy bed from an antique shop. Buy something functional from IKEA. Whatever. Um, the mattress, the pillow, your duvet. Maybe not so much your linen, because somebody else comes into your bedroom, closest partner. But I tell you what, we don't go wandering around the streets going, look at my mattress. Look, at I bought a Gucci mattress. I bought an Armani mattress. I bought a Nike mattress, an Arandas mattress. Look at my branding. I'm wearing this stuff. It goes into your bed, disappears, and you forget about it. So what does it look like? What is it made of? How many's got this? How many's got that? All that matters is when you take off your clothes and brush your teeth and remove the duvet and climb into your bed, you curl up in a fetal position and sleep. And during that period, that surface is not doing anything other than just not aggravating it. There you go. You certainly don't go rushing down to Starbucks to meet your mates or any other branded coffee shop and go, whoa, I've just got myself a Nike mattress. Look at it. Look how good I look. (laughs) doesn't happen, does it? So, you know, it's another area I'm quite passionate about because people, people get that so, so wrong. And the last question I've got for you, Nick, before
0: we wrap it up, what is Is, the, would you like
1: to buy my book?
0: (laughs) (laughs) What, what is the optimum room temperature?
1: Oh, well, I think, you know, to, to be obvious, like every article I might read and every piece of research, the, the, the optimal temperature is between 16 to 18 degrees Celsius, right? That's, there's a sun up and sundown process. So all that is, is as human beings out there, uh, we spend all our time outside like our ancestors did, and as the sun started to move towards the horizon, the temperature would drop, It would go dark, and we would go into sleep, and then the opposite happens when the sun comes up. The temperature rises, we get light, we become active. But that's it. Um, 16 to 18 degrees is one of these sort of clinical laboratory, you know, tests. Oh, look at that. Whereas, as you pointed out earlier on, you know, there are people who are living in climates that are like minus 25, minus 40. Plus forty, you know. So you're not always able to control temperature. Some people might have the luxury of air conditioning, which can have a plus and a downside to it because it dries the air out and makes it more difficult to breathe. But you get the temperature right. Some people can open their windows. Some people can't. There's a lot of people who live in cities and environments where it's not good to be opening mm. the windows and things like that. So. And you go to certain hotels and you don't always have that facility. So the, the what I always say to people is the one thing that we do know, if sixteen to eighteen degrees frightens you, females don't have a relationship with sixteen to eighteen degrees. That's like freezing. You know, they're like electric blankets, they're like bed socks, they like to be all cozy and warm. You tell them. You, I tell female athletes to have the bed, have their room at 16 to 18 degrees. They just tell me to go away. The thing is, is that all you need to do is move from warm to cool. So your own natural body temperature, as long as the room, or the bedding, or the linen, which we touched on before, as long as it's a little cooler than you, so. If you're 32 degrees as a body temperature or an environment, then try and get the bedroom at 28 degrees and get it down. Um, If you're at 20, 18, you know. If you – I walk around sometimes, probably like today, with my puffer jacket, two layers on, you know, another pair of socks, and I'm walking past two guys with shorts and a T-shirt on, and I'm going, what's that all about? (laughs) I'm freezing, they're not, you know. So – it's about your individual thing, and that's all it is. It's just simply move. One of the things, um, you know, I only know this stuff now. I didn't throughout my career. I was just doing like everybody else. But one of the things that happened to me quite a lot is that I would shower twice a day. One was to to just prepare myself to be a director of a company and just to be smart and presentable and groomed. So having a shower in the morning was part of that process to to bring yourself so I could, you know, represent my company Mm -hmm. as a director. Um, The other one was there was always things to do in the evenings, either meetings or going to an event or whatever. So you'd always end the day, and then I would change into either casual clothes or whatever, so I'd have a shower as part of that process. The one thing is about it is, you know, whether it's... That's actually... My little thing that happens to me, that I didn't know I was doing it for any particular reason. But the last thing I do is I will take a quick rinse in the shower. Not to wake myself up. It's a nice little period where you you have a relationship with, I'm actually a human being. Yeah? Not this fucking techno robot that can just do anything. So you're kind of naked. You're kind of rinsing. But what it also does is just take my body temperature up a couple of degrees. And so as I move to the room, that hasn't changed, but I've just took myself up a little bit, and then I can, I'm can, i sort of helping my brain recreate that process of my body temperature going down, but inside the bed. And that's fine. Likes this process. It might be a bit of uh, progressive stretching. It might be a bit of meditation. You might just be turning the wheels on your static bike. Do you know what I mean? It's not not sort of like, you're just just making sure, keep the room aired. You know, when you start to think about pre-sleep routines, it's about sort of like, well, forget all the day, I'm about to try and go to sleep later, so can I just open the window for half an hour to bring some fresh air in? I I may have not been able to do that throughout the whole day, but now I'm in the house or in the flat, in the apartment, I'm in control, so maybe I can do that. Maybe you put a, a fan And an ice bottle, you know, do that a lot with athletes. You know, you got a fan that you can get off the hotel, or you got one in your room. You plug that in, and there's a two-liter bottle of water that's frozen in the fridge, in the freezer. Put that in front of the fan, and the fan just blows over the cold water bottle, and and it's not going to make the place cold. A frozen bottle of water and a fan, it's not, but it just, just puts a little bit of nice. Coolness, freshness into the room for a bit, just in that first process. And this is, this is how you start: warm to cool, light to dark, amber light, red light, yellow light does not affect the shift between melatonin and serotonin, which are the two hormones that trigger. One is the wake hormone; serotonin tells the brain to do or unsuppress everything and release you to be in a wake state. The melatonin tells the brain to do the opposite, to suppress everything, bowel, bladder, active, appetite, everything. And so that moves you towards there. And light and dark does this shift. That's what it does. Natural light does it and temperature shift. So you're always going to make it more difficult if you don't try and just be in harmony with these things a little bit more. So no pillow, no mattress. No supplement, no isolated intervention, no wearable on your wrist that's telling you about sleep, no sleep app, no nothing. It's going to affect what you get from the hours you allocate to sleep if you're not in reasonable harmony with those circadian rhythms of the day and your chronotype, which means you are genetically tuned to either be a morning person or a nighttime person. And that is simply about the way that melatonin and serotonin builds in your body genetically is AMers are two hours in front of PMers. That's it. That's why PMers have to get dragged out of bed and dragged to work. AMers are up and rocking. It's because I'm an AMer and the, the melatonin, because of this natural circadian shift, as soon as that sun gets anywhere near the horizon, the light starts to change. It's still dark. But it starts to change. I build, I change from melatonin to serotonin much quicker than if you were a PM chronotype. So I'm off and running, and you're still waiting for this to happen. And yet, at night, you are very lively, and I'm dead to the world. So, if you combine circadian rhythms, your chronotype, what you do, why you do it, and when not to get specifically bogged down with routines, that's not what we want in this world, we want to be flexible and impulsive you can think in cycles, maybe we'll have four cycles in the next 24 hours or 48 hours, combination of four of those and three of those, we'll do that we'll do that, don't sleep before that particular event because it's pointless, because I'm wired Uh, what happens if this, how do I take advantage of that, how do I move from summer to winter, all of this I'm saying it really quickly and off the top of my head because that's how it should be in your life it's just a subconscious thing. Nobody likes routines. It's just, oh, that's happening. I do that and that. That's happening. Do that and that. I want to do this. Do that and that. Oh my god, I've got a meeting with the boss, James. He's an absolute pain. I spotted he's a he's an AM chronotype. My boss. I just spotted that personally. So I spot it, and I know that meetings in the morning he's going to be wired and shouting and doing everything like this, and I need to be really careful and take my pad or my device and make notes because I'm not going to be in the same place he is for that meeting in the morning. And you will know from, from coaches to, you know, maybe doing that at that particular time, in that particular way, maybe not as beneficial as maybe just waiting 20 minutes or half an hour. Or what do you do in the evenings? What do you do in midday? And all those little factors is why some people... Make a real difference. Stop wasting valuable time in your life doing this without benefits. Waste the time. Shorter, quicker, faster, stronger. And buy the book. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so if you had to summarize this podcast in one sentence, how would you go about it?
1: Stop wasting valuable time in your life sleeping without benefits that's all it is stop worrying about it the myths and everything around it as we've touched on you know so I would just simply say you know you have no idea really through lack of education lack of awareness that you could be wasting a hell of a lot of time in your life every day trying to do something because you just don't know enough about it and if you do know a bit more about it as nearly everybody comes on to me on a daily basis you know this has completely changed my life it's awesome um I feel so much more confident I'm sleeping so much better I'm doing this I'm doing that I feel great I've stopped doing this and I've stopped doing that now when you when you hear people do that the only way you get reactions to things like that James is when people have gone from a point of knowing nothing to knowing something, and that's all it is—just knowing nothing to knowing something—and you know. Anyway, that's the answer.
0: So thanks, thanks very much, Nick, for your, your time and that insight into into sleep. But it's very insightful. I I've, I sure learned a few tricks there, <laughs> and hopefully. Uh, The listeners will do as well. No problem at all. If you wanted some bonus content, I have now set up a Facebook group where you can interact with both the guests and I. The name of this so-called group is Mindset Game. So why not come over and check it out for yourself? And before I forget, I would really appreciate it if you would be so kind as to leave a short review in iTunes as it helps to get the podcast more notoriety and it would be more visible in the future to others, and thus helping more people, which my guests and I are all about. Once again, thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time for another episode of the Mindset Gaming Podcast.